Well, welcome back. After a bit of a break over the last couple of weeks over the holiday, hopefully you had a wonderful Christmas and uh, a, a great new year. Uh, safe one, hopefully. And, um, so, but glad to be back and, uh, spending some time opening the Word of God together. So, uh, if you got your Bible ready, why don't you open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? This is a passage that came to mind when I got a comment, uh, from, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this correctly, but, uh, it's spelled M-A-R-J-N. And if I pronounce it, it sounds like margin. And, uh, I don't know if that is an intentional pun to play on the term margin in some way, but uh, it's clever if so. But in any case, uh, margin, I'm not sure where you're watching from, but I'm glad you reached out. And margin was asking if we had posted previously at any point on the subject of sanctification, uh, as opposed to self-righteousness. And so I thought, you know, this is a good topic to start the new year on because it touches on the gospel, which you can never talk about enough. Uh, it touches on the idea of, of spiritual growth. It talks about the difference between uh, the idea of being justified in Christ and having been set apart positionally as opposed to being set apart continually through the process, again, of this idea of sanctification. So why don't you open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This passage came to mind immediately when I saw this comment. I wanted to go ahead and read it, verses 1 through 8. So as uh, as always, as we start the year, let's open our Bibles together. I hope you got it handy. Again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally then, brethren, we urge you and uh, urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion and lust like the Gentile, a passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. I like to include that last verse when I read this passage, because there's a key element here that we want to include in our discussion. But you can see here very clearly that there is this idea of sanctification, another word that uh, has the same Greek uh, underpinning, the same Greek root word, is the word holy. Um, we see this throughout the passage here. And uh, and so we want to talk now about the idea of what is sanctification, uh, what does it mean to be righteous, justified, what is self-righteousness all about. Let's take a minute. Well, for starters, we know that Paul here, right off the bat, tells us in verse 3 that this is the will of God, your sanctification. The idea of sanctification is at the heart of the will of God. This is God's will for his people, that we be sanctified. So naturally, we want to talk about what does it mean to be sanctified? What is sanctification all about? Well, the word sanctified or sanctification, or again, for that matter, the word holy, all come from a root word, hagias, or uh, sanctification, I think it's hagiosmos, I think is how we pronounce it. Uh, But it speaks of the idea of being set apart, or even being consecrated. I like the word consecrated because when we use the word in the biblical context, again, the Greek language was something that was, you know, a language that was, uh, this Koine Greek that was used at the time. Uh, was not just used in the Bible, it was the common language of Greek-speaking people. And so they would use this word uh, set apart and this kind of thing in all kinds of different contexts. But when we see it in the context of Scripture, in the context of what it means to know God, walk with Him and such, the word consecrated is, is a well-fitting word. Because it means, it speaks to the idea of being set apart 
to God in particular in the context of scripture. And so what is God's will? That we be set apart to him. Now, there are a couple of different senses in which that word is used in terms of being set apart. As a matter of fact, here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the idea is that of, of becoming further and further, being pulled further and further away from uh, the world's mindset, attitudes, and practices. For example, he talks specifically about uh, things like sexual immorality and this kind of thing. You don't want to be participating in those kinds of things, but rather call, you're, you're called away from that kind of thing. And so therefore, this is something that we are growing in terms of our Christ-likeness as opposed to what we used to walk like in the world. But there's another sense in which uh, the idea of, of sanctified uh, is used. And I'll invite you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for this, where it's the same word, uh, same Greek root word, but notice how Paul uses it here. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he has just spent time, uh, without going into too long of a of an introduction on the Corinthian church, as opposed to the Thessalonian church. The Thessalonian church was uh, seen as a, a really good, solid, upright, uh, Jesus-loving church. Uh, both letters imply that Paul spent time teaching them important things uh, all across the board, including things like eschatology, which we point out quite a bit. Um, but this is a church that is a, by and large, very, very healthy church. Corinth, on the other hand, was very different. They were not very healthy. They were very carnal. And in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, uh, I'd like to point out that um, the Corinthians had asked Paul a bunch of questions, and he doesn't even get to answering any of those until about chapter 7, because he's correcting all kinds of issues all the way up through chapter 6, most having to do with divisiveness and carnality and even sexual sin that's uh, really abhorrent. Um, and so when Paul in chapter 6, when he gets to verse 11 that I want to read, by this point he has talked about their condition, uh, what they were in the world and that kind of thing, uh, sinful and just terrible, terrible shape. And he goes on to speak in verse 10 about how, um, well in verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And so Paul here makes a distinction between what they were and what they are. Now, here's the thing. The Corinthians, at the time of the writing of this letter, were still very carnal. And they were still uh, adulterous. And in some, and, and all these things that he lists here, these were still things that at least some of them were still in practice. We know Paul addresses a couple of these things along the way. So, but he talks about them as though this is a past tense kind of a thing. In this context, the word sanctified or set apart or consecrated takes on not the progressive idea of growing in Christ, but rather the position in justification that you currently possess in Christ. You have been positionally separated unto him, consecrated to him. You're no longer a child of the world or a child of the devil. Now you are a child of God. You are set apart as his own in a positional sense. And so here in 1 Corinthians, he lets them know where they actually are in Christ, even though their lives may not reflect it. 
In 1 Thessalonians, Paul is talking about the other sense of the word sanctified, which is the one we more commonly use, uh, the sense that we use it in, and that is the idea of being progressively pulled further and further away from the world and pulled closer and closer to being like Christ. And so sanctification uh, is this idea, this twofold idea, in the justification sense, you have been set apart. You have been, as he said in 1 Corinthians, justified, sanctified. You were these things before in the eyes of God. He no longer sees you this way because you've been set apart to him. However, there is the practical reality of our behavior as human beings, that we have a new nature, but we're still doing battle against the old nature, the flesh. Paul talks to this in, in um uh, Romans chapter 7 into chapter 8, where he talks about this battle within him, this law of the, uh, this beautiful law of God that is glorious and, and expresses the, the holiness of God and the otherness of God and, and this lofty ideal that we would seek to be like, but we, because we're in the flesh, have such a hard time walking in these ways. Uh, we, we find ourselves doing, and Paul would, you know, be saying this about himself, but certainly this is true for all of us. We find ourselves wanting to do the right thing, but we have this other thing within us that just does not seem to let us consistently walk that way. Instead, we find ourselves stumbling and falling and even running headlong into sin sometimes, justifying it and, and, and living in it, even though we know in our hearts and we even are, we're grieved over it, but we find ourselves unable to completely escape it. Why? Because we're in this body of flesh. And so Paul says, who can deliver me from this body of death? He goes on to say, I thank God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And therefore I will serve, uh, the, you know, the, the law of sin in my body, but I'll serve the law of God in my spirit and this kind of thing. And, but then he goes on, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so how does this all reconcile? And this, by the way, is I, I I'm guessing, Part of the reason why this question maybe came up, I know it's a question that many wrestle with. Uh, many solid Jesus-loving people wrestle at this point with the idea of who they are in Christ positionally, but yet the struggles that we face practically. And this, again, having to do with sanctification. Um, now, Paul here in Romans, again, I would invite you to read all of Romans chapter 7 and 8. Of course, read the whole epistle. We're making our way through it very, very slowly. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's been a couple of months now, I think, since we picked up our study in Romans. We really do have to get back to it, and we will. Uh, but in Romans chapter 7 and 8, Paul, again, addresses this struggle that is very, very real. But he recognizes, thankfully, and you can almost hear this anguish on the one hand in recognizing the fallenness of his flesh and, and its grasp on his life and, and keeping him from walking in the way that he knows blesses God and pleases him and even the way he himself wants to walk according to that which is right and good, uh, according to the Lord. But he's in anguish because he can't. But then there's this cry of triumph in Christ because there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. And uh, in some manuscripts, it continues on. It says, those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Uh, it's in some manuscripts of that verse and, and not in others. It does appear then in verse four. The idea here of that evidence of the one who walks in the spirit Obviously not perfectly, because we are still in the flesh, but nonetheless we are walking in the spirit. Why? For the very same, uh, the same, uh, for the very reason that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, because God has given us the Holy Spirit. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, uh, 
Paul mentions how we were sealed, set apart and sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Uh, Jesus spoke about how the Holy Spirit would be with us, but also in us. And of course, as believers, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. God has given us his Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit now dwells within believers. So we no longer walk simply according to the flesh. We walk according to the spirit and do battle against the flesh. Uh, we don't dare claim that we are free from any temptation and sin and all this kind of thing, but we recognize rather with great humility that we are still living in these bodies of flesh, yet thankfully now we are not just living in the flesh, but we have the capacity to now live in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says, who can deliver me from this body of death in, in Romans chapter 7? It is not just, hey, there's this tendency I have towards sin in my mind per se, just only that, but rather my body itself is prone toward this. And so who will deliver me from it? Well, thankfully, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 would go on to talk about this glorified body we'll have and all this kind of thing. And so there is an actual deliverance from this sin nature, from this body of flesh and all of this. Great things that we can look forward to with great anticipation. I know I do. I'm pretty sure you probably do too. Well, so... There's again this idea of the positional sanctification set apart once for all belonging to him because of the finished work of Christ. As a believer, you are now positionally separated from the condemnation that you once were under and all this kind of thing. You're now in Christ. However, there is still this idea of going on in the process of sanctification where the things that my flesh craves are little by little, as I lay myself on the altar, Romans 12, 1 and 2, as I uh, give myself over to him and take up my cross daily, giving myself over to the Lord and say, Father, give me all that I need today in the power of the Holy Spirit to walk with you and not against you, to walk in the Spirit and not give in to the flesh. Help me, Lord, to, to die to myself and all of my desires and that kind of thing. That's what the idea of taking up our cross is about and following after your Son, walking in his ways and that. Even though I'm I'm, I'm going to fail along the way, Thank you for your grace that covers me, but please, Lord, give me the strength to walk each day. It's important, by the way, to recognize that as we talk about this, there's two elements we want to make sure we are abundantly clear about. One is that when it comes to our righteousness, our having positionally been set apart, uh, we are set apart by him through the finished work of Christ, received by faith, But this is not of ourselves, lest anyone should boast. There is no other way that we could attain righteousness. It doesn't come by the law. If it did, then Christ died needlessly, Galatians 2.21. The idea that we are saved by God's grace, received by faith. And so, therefore, there is no thing that we do to make ourselves righteous before God. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, Isaiah in chapter 64, verse 6, talks about how our righteousness is like filthy rags. Uh, and he goes on to sort of connect this idea. Because of our iniquities, we've been sort of blown away by the wind. It's like we have no weight of genuine righteousness anchoring us and holding us down, but rather our self-righteousness, the righteousness that we think we have in and of ourselves, actually amounts to filthy rags. They are rubbish. They are to be done away with and not seen as valuable in any way. But rather instead, it's a picture of what our righteousness or our self-quote-unquote righteousness is really all about. There's there's actually no such thing as self-righteousness. We can act self-righteously as if we actually believed we could be righteous by our own acts, but there is no actual righteousness that comes through self. Uh, so there is no such thing, really, as self-righteousness. There can be a self-righteous attitude, but we're fooling ourselves into thinking that we can be something in and of ourselves that we can't be. 
And so righteousness is a gift from God. Um, there is this wonderful um, positional change that takes place because of the transaction of Christ's righteousness being imputed to us. Again, as we've quoted a thousand times last year, we'll quote it a thousand times this year. Uh, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. So, um, so that's the idea of righteousness positionally. Sanctification practically is the ongoing process of God um, working within us. Now, on that note, by the way, oh, and I guess the other point I was going to make is that um, whereas God's grace and the righteousness that is imputed to us is entirely of him, it is given to us by him. It's not something we can ever earn by ourselves. The other side of that is to think that the, there is no value then in walking in holiness. At this point, some people begin to lean and in, in fear begin to think that this now begins to speak of legalism or the idea that I need to sort of uphold a level of righteousness to remain right with God. This is a misunderstanding. There is a very direct, clear admonition to live a holy life in Scripture. Um, uh, there, there is, there is no diminishing of the importance of that. However, the importance of it is in a different category than the, than, than, than the idea of righteousness is in terms of your positional place in Christ. You can't earn righteousness, but you can live righteously. You can't earn your justification that is given to you, but you can live justly. We just uh, are about to hit it in, in Micah chapter 6 on Wednesday night. You know, he's shown you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, that you uh, that you uh, do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God, right? Do justly, live a life that is just and right and good uh, as you walk in humility before the Lord, recognizing that, <clears throat> again, your self-righteousness is nothing, but a righteous life is one that flows from uh, a heart that's been made new by one who walks in the spirit. If you're walking in the spirit, then you are by definition walking in a way that is separated from the things of the world. And so therefore you are walking in the things of God. You're living righteously. This is not something we do to earn grace. It is something we do in response to grace. And here's a key point. This is where I want to get to both in first uh, Corinthians chapter six and in first Thessalonians chapter four, you notice that Paul associates this idea of living differently with the central place that the Holy Spirit plays in that. God has given us his Holy Spirit and he lives within us in part of what he does is helping us to walk this way. Um, Again, verse 8, it's like if we reject this idea of walking in holiness and not in uncleanness, we're rejecting what God has actually given us as he has given us his Holy Spirit. And so it's no longer uh, a matter, uh, there should never be, uh, maybe a better way to put it is this way, there should never be this sense that we can achieve righteousness of our own strength, efforts, even our will, that we can't do it. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are born again, and we are also given the ability now to live a different kind of a life. Um, the idea of being set apart, consecrated, uh, very much like the priests, they would have the instruments, the implements for the temple worship and all that kind of thing, and they were consecrated to God. They weren't for common use. They were specifically for him. 
There's a great model and picture in that. The idea that God has called us apart, not to be touching the things of the world, not to be useful in the ways of, of unrighteousness, but rather set apart as instruments for the worship of God. Uh, I was bought at a price, and therefore I will glorify God with my body, Paul would say. The idea that my body is now his, for his glory, for his purposes, for his use. I have been set apart for him. And so where does self-righteousness, uh, how does self-righteousness compare uh, with the idea of sanctification? I would argue there are two separate things entirely. Sanctification in the positional sense means that he has set you apart. This is a work that only he can do. There's no self involved in this. It is entirely his work. Paul, again, 2 Corinthians 5 would say a few times, this is all of God. The idea of sanctification in the practical sense is something that we participate in, in terms of our surrender, in terms of taking up our cross. But even that is not devoid of really the power of the Holy Spirit being at work within us. Uh, it now becomes a question, the question of positional has been dealt with. Now it's the question of walking with him with intention. Uh, in response, as you grow in your love for the things of God, and obviously for God himself, then you tend to not want to be around the things that are opposed to him, or you don't want to dabble in the things that, that don't, um, that don't encourage that growth in that relationship. But this is somewhat of a choice now on our part. We, we, when, when sin stands at the door, we have a choice as to whether or not we're going to pursue it or run away from it. Um, and this again is something that we're aware of by the power of the Holy Spirit, but we also have the power to resist in the power of the Holy Spirit. But there is an element there of my surrendering to that. Um, you know, Paul would say to the Galatians, you know, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right. But the encouragement is for the believer to choose to walk in the spirit, lest they fulfill the lust of the flesh. Um, again, this is not a matter of earning our righteousness or salvation, but this is a matter of daily becoming closer and closer to Christ, which by definition pulls us farther and farther away from the world. And this is the healthy pursuit of a believer. Uh, and it's the encouragement throughout the entire New Testament. Uh, and so now when it comes to self-righteousness, again, I guess maybe I, you know, without trying to sound clever about it, um, there is no such thing. And maybe that's the best way to look at it, because if we believe there is such a thing, we'll pursue it. But there is no such thing. You can't be righteous by yourself. You can fool yourself into thinking you can be made righteous through your activity. But in terms of our practice, even in that, we want to remember that the Holy Spirit is at the heart of that, and it's our surrender to him, uh, which ultimately um, is the part that we play. But it's really the Holy Spirit that's working within us as we allow him that space to do so. So I hope that helps a little bit. I just wanted to take some time to talk about, again, a subject I love to talk about. Um, I love to talk about grace. I love to talk about deepening a relationship with Jesus. Um, which to me, it just, it's, you know, I think I mentioned in a, in the previous uh, post about a week ago, uh, or a few days ago, whenever it was, but, um, the last post where talked about falling in love with the Jesus of scripture. Uh, I found myself really drawn this year to take my time through the gospels and just to make my way through all four. And I started a few days before the beginning of the year and, it, and, and I was in the genealogy like the opening part of Matthew is in for like two days, not two solid full days, but over two days of, of taking time to read. I just 
was pouring over just that part. It's just there's so much there that's rich and wonderful to, to dive into because it's the beginnings of the humanity of Christ, the incarnation in that taking place, the, the family tree that ultimately he is born through. Uh, and so I just, you know, anything about him, I just want to know more about. Anything about him I want to learn. Uh, and, and so this is just something that I, I feel at the beginning of the new year was for some reason, uh, more so than usual, I found myself just wanting to see him personally clearly. It's not just all the, the doctrinal, uh, things that we can dig into and, and don't, I'm not trying to create a false dichotomy here. That's, you need doctrine to understand Jesus. I mean, the Bible and teaching, uh, from the scripture is what we need to understand Jesus. We can't just, you know, make it up. And so we, we go to scripture, but it, it's, it struck me like this is about him. I want to study the New Testament, not just to make sure I understand, have, uh, have my T's crossed and I's dotted per se, but I want to see him at the heart of all of it. When he said in John 5, uh, 39, uh, you know, the whole of scripture speaks of him. They testify of him. I want to see that everywhere. And I want to start in the gospels as I paint that pic, as I get that picture painted and then uh, bring that to the rest of the scripture again. Just kind of a fresh, uh, coming at it again, kind of a thing. And so, you know, when we fall in love with Jesus and we get to know him better and better, the idea of sanctification just comes naturally because a disciple walks with the master. And so by walking with the master, I'm choosing not to walk with other things that might lead me away. And so just something to think about, just something to consider as we enter into the new year. So, um, so there you go. There you go. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the fact that Jesus is the point and the pursuit of all of scripture. Just pray that Lord, you would help us to see him clearly, that we'd pursue him, uh, with intention as we study the scripture. We pray that Lord, we would understand that it is only by his finished work that we are justified, that we are set apart positionally as your children. Uh, Father, we did nothing to earn that. We did nothing to, to achieve that. And we can do nothing to hold on to that. Uh, it is entirely of you. And so we thank you that your Holy Spirit dwells within us. We thank you that he is actively working in us, not just in terms of having saved us and set us apart, but even daily working within us to pull us further and further apart from the world and draw us closer and closer to Jesus. We just thank you for this. And we pray this would be a year of renewed enjoyment of the relationship that Jesus has invited us to come into and to enjoy with him. We pray that, Father, ours would not be simply a dry clinical faith, but one that leads us to a deeper knowledge of him who lies beyond the veil, but who's through whose finished work the veil was now opened. And so we thank you, Father, for the wonderful relationship, the closeness that we can enjoy. Even as Paul would say to the Philippians, Jesus is near, not just in his coming, but he's near to all of us. And we thank you that he's near to all of us who call upon him in truth. We just praise you and bless you for all that you're doing in our lives. And we pray that we would, maybe for those who who, who don't feel like they're seeing the changes in their life that, that you want to bring about, that Lord, um, through the central activity of the Holy Spirit and through the central place of the study of the Word of God, uh, I pray that they would. They'd begin to recognize that maybe they're not what they once were. Uh, maybe they're not everything that they want to be or even think they should be, but they're certainly not what they once were because the Holy Spirit is at work 
and we thank you for both setting us apart positionally and continuing to set us apart practically. Thank you, Father. We love you and praise you and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.